listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Did you know that even after hosting this podcast for over seven years, I still get nervous before every single interview? This will come as no surprise to the people who know me because I get nervous about a lot of things. And by a lot, I mean pretty much everything. When it comes to interviewing people, I get nervous about all kinds of things. Will the conversation flow well for listeners? Will my guests leave feeling heard and honored in their grief? And thanks to the pandemic, I worry a lot about whether Zoom's going to crash and wreck the interview. Sometimes, though, I'm a little intimidated by a guest because of the work they do in the world. For this episode, I got to be intimidated not by one, but by two guests. Im and Sal are the co-founders and hosts of the Good Morning Podcast, based in Australia. Why was I intimidated? Well, one, because we were recording across multiple time zones and continents, and I was absolutely convinced Zoom was going to crash. But mostly because Sal and Em are extremely skilled at weaving authentic grief talk with sardonic wit and sharp humor. Being from New England, sardonic wit and sharp humor are two of my most favorite things, but I've been out in the Pacific Northwest for over 25 years now, and I've lost most, if not all, of my edge. So now that my nervousness confession is out of the way, let me tell you more about Sal and Im. Sal is a British expat whose mother died from a seizure. Im's mom died of suicide. They met the way many grief friends meet, at a grief support group, and they connected over being young and motherless and feeling outrageously alone in their grief. From that meeting, they decided they wanted to help others feel less alone in their grief, and they turned to podcasting to make that happen. They started the Good Morning Podcast back in 2020. Their episodes include interviews with guests like Hope Edelman and Edith Eager, the author of The Gift, and ones where it's just the two of them hashing out some aspect of grief. Woven through their entire show is the dark humor that helps illuminate the sometimes absurd reality of grief. If you haven't listened to the Good Morning Podcast, you should. I mean, finish this episode first, but then scroll over to their show and check it out. You'll find links to all the ways to connect with them in the show notes. Okay, here's my cross-continental conversation with Sal and M. Sal and M, thank you so much for making this uh, transatlantic, trans-Pacific ocean across the continental interview happen from Australia to Portland, Oregon. I'm really looking forward to our time together. Thank you. We are so excited to be here. We are massive fans of Grief Out Loud podcast. Just going to put that out there. It's one of the first podcasts that um, we came across deep in our grief. So thank you and for all the wonderful work that you guys are doing at the Dougie Center. So good to be here and so good to be talking to you. And for our listeners who are going to be like, okay, who am I hearing from? We've got M with the Australian accent. Yeah, Bogan Aussie. <laughs> and Sal with the British accent. Yeah. And I know, you know, the two of you connected because you both have had your moms die 
And I'm wondering, is there a particular like memory or thought of your mother's that have that's been on your minds lately? I think for me as an expat coming from the UK, I didn't see my mum that often, um, only when I travelled back home or she came to visit. And it's coming up to three years since I last saw her, since she last came to Australia and we did a road trip together. So I'm very much thinking about those times at the moment. It kind of feels like a bit of a milestone in a way because it was the last time I saw her and, you know, as time kind of goes on and things change and life evolves like I'm yeah I'm really sort of thinking about about that time the last time that I connected with her a lot of deep thinking around that for me at the moment it's been on my mind quite heavily and um and also all of the different things that have happened since she passed and since we last spent time together in the physical sense what did your mom think of Australia she absolutely loved it she was such a fan which I think really helps as an expat because when you're so far away from family um, you kind of want them to be a fan or to be happy that you're that you're in a different place and she yeah she came out like once a year massive fan I think if she could she would have lived over here for sure. And I was thinking too as you were talking the idea that oftentimes the the dates that we might have in our minds when somebody dies are like approaching their birthday or the day that they died and but that last time piece can come as a bit of a surprise or a shock to people of like, oh, I'm thinking about the last time I saw them or the last time I talked to them and how that could really be amplified when you are living a country away. Definitely. And how about you, Em? Mine's been a little bit different. I think after my mum died, so I'm, I'm really close to the second year anniversary, which is coming up in February. But sort of since my mum died up until recently, I was always just so caught up in the immediate aftermath of the loss and what, you know, what was happening prior to it because my mum died by suicide and it was really big shock. So I spent a lot of time kind of like ruminating of those last few months and going over all those sorts of details. But recently I've sort of been having a bit of a retrospective journey I think I'm going like right back to when I was younger and like I'm having memories of my mum that I just haven't thought about in years so yeah it's 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 definitely shifted into it into a different kind of place for me lately which is nice but it's also sad like I think back to sort of times where I was around the age that my daughter is now and what I was doing with my mom and holidays that we went on and things. So it's stirring up a bit of stuff for me, but it's also kind of nice to have shifted out of that place where I was just focusing solely on her death, which, which I was kind of, I felt a bit stuck there for quite some time. So yeah, it's been, it's been quite interesting for me. Yeah. That has come up in my groups in the last couple of weeks, this idea of memory and how when someone dies, it really alters our memory in so many different ways. Like there can be the folks who all I can think about or see or the last few days of their life or when I got the news that they died and I sort of can't access any of the memories that came prior, either positive or negative ones, or I can't remember anything about finding out. I can only think about them when I was younger. And so interesting that you sort of, you know, were in that place that I can only deal with the immediacy of the, the trauma of her death and now like the door has opened again for you to step back in time to those other memories and how that can be maybe joyful, but also very bittersweet too. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's an element of it as well, where I'm kind of like separating 
what happened to my mum with my relationship with her as well. And I think with suicide, it can be really complicated. So I'm kind of, yeah, removing kind of what happened to her and, and going back to who she really is, you know, the deep essence of our relationship and, and all of those things, which um, it's, it's been a bit of a process, but it's a, it's a positive one, I think, for sure. You know, there can be a lot of assumptions that got made about the interplay between how someone has died and what the grief looks like. And I think those become automatic sometimes. So you tell your story, if my person died, they were in a car crash or they died of cancer. And the person who's listening to us immediately has this like mental schema of like, oh, that means this, this, and this. And I've been really interested in asking people who have had someone die, like what does how the person died, what does that mean to you? And, you know, Yumi Doherty, you've already started talking about your mom dying of suicide. And I, I just wonder like, what has how she died meant for you? It's been very complicated and I think that process of trying to separate her from her death is is a really, really tough one, um, especially when it is from suicide. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's complicated because I think when people think of suicide, they think it's a really selfish act and they think that, you know, it's the person must have been like really mentally ill and my mum wasn't any of those things and so her kind of making that choice was really hard for me to understand. So then I had to try and like, yeah, go back to the just deep essence of who she was, not that split decision that she made on that day. Like it's, it's been, yeah, really complicated and that her death doesn't define her and it doesn't define her whole life. And she's got this, you know, amazing 62 years of life that she lived with incredible things that she achieved. And that, that one day just, it isn't who she is. And it seems too that when someone has died by suicide or maybe some of the other more like stigmatized deaths that there's even more vulnerability to their life being defined by how it ended and not by how they lived. Mm. And, you know, I wonder for you, Sal, with your mom dying of a, a medical event, how, you know, the way she died, what that's meant for you. It's been, it's been a really tough one because she, it was, it was really just a tragic mistake she forgot to take her medication which brought on a seizure but with SUDEP which is um it stands for the sudden and unexpected death of someone with epilepsy that was otherwise healthy there's no there's not a lot of research that's been done into it there's no kind of conclusive answer as to well this is exactly what happened um in in my sort of understanding um it was kind of a prolonged seizure which may mean that her heart stopped beating or her brain didn't connect with the fact that she needed to breathe so she stopped breathing but there's because there's no answer it's been quite difficult to sort of um have a bit of closure I think in the sense of okay well that's what happened I can kind of accept that and move on there's a bit of a gray cloud and I think because it was a mistake there's um you know there's sometimes a little bit of of anger I'll admit you know in that sort of processing her death like oh mum why didn't you just take your tablets why didn't you remember because all of this would have been prevented it's been a bit of a process trying to separate that kind of murky gray cloud of well like I, I just need a conclusive answer as to why this happened like how it happened really um 
and and just kind of going okay well I you know I'm angry that it happened because it was a mistake it could have been prevented and 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 there's been a bit of a yeah a process trying to come to terms with that how she died because there's no there, there won't be a real answer to it I can only I can only guess what happened so yeah there's been it's been it's been complex I would say just that um that acceptance acceptance of it being a, a mistake as well which I know is common for a, a lot of people as you're both talking just to continue with my door analogy for the day uh, that when someone dies there's these different rooms that our minds go to and thinking about how when we don't know exactly how the person died, that's a room that maybe we spend a lot of time in. And if we get the you know definitive answer of like medically what happened, we might close the door to that room. We don't visit that one anyone anymore. But then we go visit the one of like, but why to my person? What could have you know what could we have done to have changed it or prevent it or all those different kinds of things? Um, I really love that analogy um, because I think you're exactly right. I think sometimes in grief there's always something that we kind of, there's another door that we open because it's so multi-layered. It is so complex, isn't it? Um, that we might close the door on one thing, but then we find another door to open and another room to explore. Um, and sometimes we need to go through many of those, open many of those doors, go through many of those rooms, but it absolutely is like you, you close one thing and there's another thing that you need to address or you need to explore. It's, it is so multifaceted, isn't it, grief? You find a secret trap door you didn't know existed and you're like, dang it, now I got to go down this one and see what's in here. <laughs> yes. And I think with suicide loss as well, like that door's always going to be open, that why. Like I'll never know why. I'll never be able to ask mum why. So that room is always open and I dip in there, you know, and I come back out, but I don't spend as much time in there now as time has gone on, which is which has been a relief. But yeah, it's re- I, I really like that analogy as well because it's pretty pretty bang on. <laughs> Well, and the idea that especially early on in grief, you often don't know you're in a room. It just feels like the whole world. And you Mm -hmm. don't know that there's even a doorway to step out of that room and to be able to, you'll go back into it, but that you aren't living fully just in this like one room studio (laughs) that like what just happened and why. So, you know, you are two people with two very different grief stories, but your story is also your, your connected story of the two of you coming together and taking your grief and your shared experience of having your moms die and making a show, making a podcast. And I just wonder, like, tell us, how did you meet? And how did you go from like, hey, I'm Em and my mom's dead and I'm Sal and my mom's dead. Like, let's make a podcast out of that. Like, what was that <laughs> process like? <laughs> well, it, you go. Yeah. Okay. I love, I love this story. I love this part of our story. (laughs) It's a very unique friendship that we have. And um, I think it just all sort of started when, when Sal and I felt really alone in our grief because grief is so lonely and you don't realize until you're in it, how lonely it can be. And we sort of didn't really have any friends around that were going through a similar loss. So we just didn't know where to begin to process what had happened. So we reached out to, there's an organization called Motherless Daughters Australia, and we both joined their Facebook group and we saw that they were having a meetup in Sydney um, for about 10 people. So it was in the middle of COVID. So they were limited to how many people could join. And we both rocked up at this lunch and um, it was, it was an interesting experience. Like I don't think Sal and I are typical support group type of people until we needed it. And yeah, so Sal turned up late to this lunch and I remember just instantly when she got there, it was like, I felt a connection 
And then we, we sort of went around the table and all shared how our mums had died and, and Sal and I had both experienced sudden loss. So I felt a connection with her through that as well. Um, but we didn't actually get a chance to properly connect on that day. She ended up leaving early, went out the back door, didn't you, Sal? <laughs> yeah. I did. Came late, left early. Keep keep the mystery and suspense, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so then I plucked up the courage to just send her a, a message on Facebook a couple of days after and just said, Hey, I'm in, I'm that other girl who lost her mum suddenly across the table from you the other day. Um, let me know if you ever want to hang out and have a wine because I know how awful this can be. And that was the start of our friendship, which has been just so helpful for both of us throughout our grief. And I think, you know, just continuing on from that, point so we we met up for wines and we became you know fast friends because we really connected over the fact that you know we'd lost our mum suddenly but we were also a similar age in our early 30s and you know lot not a lot of our peers had experienced a loss full stop at, at our age so it was quite isolating in a way being, not being able to talk to somebody who really understood you know all the elements of grief and even though we had a great support network we had loads of friends that were rallying around us um no one kind of really connected with us on that level of like I've been there and I get it and I know what you're going through so we we were talking about like god this is quite lonely isn't it this grief experience you know what can we do to help other people feel less alone. You know, we were coming um, off the back of the first lockdown. So mid 2020, and we were sort of discussing, weren't we, in that there must be a lot of people who are grieving in isolation. What, what could we do to sort of help talk about grief? Because we also noticed that, especially here in Australia, a lot of people don't talk openly about grief there weren't a lot of grief resources particularly in Australia at that time that we felt connected to us at our age and on a level that kind of just talked openly and honestly about what what you know what happens when you lose someone so we decided to give a podcast a try didn't we and yeah. that's basically how Good Morning was born. We were wanted to approach the topic of grief with honesty, humor, and just talk about the realities of loss because, you know, it's, it is so complex, so multi-layered. And I think also sometimes when you're deep in grief, you do want to be able to talk about things in a real and relatable way, but with a pinch of humor, because it really gets you through those difficult times. So that was kind of our idea for Good Morning. And that's how it was born. This is like an impossible question. So you can hate me and, and skip if you don't want to answer. <laughs> but as, you know, fellow podcast hosts, there's all the episodes are meaningful. And they're all, you know, each time I record a new, I'm like, this is my new favorite one. But this is my new favorite one, and like 215 episodes. in, I'm like, oh, they're all my favorite ones. So I'm not going to ask you which one was your favorite episode that you've done. But I'm curious if there was a particular conversation or interview that you've done that helped you in a really significant way? Because oftentimes as hosts, you know, we do these episodes to help our listeners, but sometimes what we le learn or hear really affects us and shifts our own grief. So I wondered if each of you had a particular interview or conversation that really stood out in that way. Definitely. The first one that springs to mind for me personally would be Dr. Edith Eager, who is a Holocaust survivor. She's 94 years old and we had the absolute honor of interviewing her, which was just a life-changing moment for both of us, I think. Um, Sal and I had done an interview, we were interviewing each other for our one-year anniversary episode and we asked each other, like, who 
in the world, like, would you want to interview? Like, who is your dream guest, dead or alive, if you could speak to anyone in the world? And uh, I said, Dr. Edith Eager, because um, when I was in the depths of my grief from suicide loss, like I was filled with a lot of like really heavy emotions, like anger and guilt and and they were just sort of eating me alive and I came across Dr. Eager's work about surviving unimaginable trauma and it just resonated with me so much and gave me so much hope for the future and I just thought if this woman can get through what she's gone through then I can get through this like I can do this and she she gave me that glimmer of hope that I really needed and yes yeah, so we got the we had the opportunity to speak to her and it was just the most powerful life-changing one hour of our lives and we learned so much from her and so that's definitely mine (laughs) Sal I think Sal has a different one but yeah they're all amazing but yeah that would be the top for me for sure. One conversation that we had that's really stuck out for me is when we spoke to Hope Edelman who I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with she's um, an American-based author she's written uh, Motherless Daughters um, Motherless Mothers and most recently The After Grief there was a moment in the conversation where we talked about the concept of closure and acceptance and what that means and she shared a really great analogy that has really helped me I think it helped you it's helped you a lot as well hasn't it Im? you know there's yeah. this cultural imperative to find closure but what does that really mean and and for hope what she said she sees closure is as something that we it's like a train station that we arrive and depart from and there'll be different moments in our life that maybe we kind of come we feel like we're moving maybe a little bit towards what what maybe is acceptance but then something might happen and we kind of go back into our grief so she says she doesn't really see it as like a final destination but more of something that we sort of you know move to and from like this idea of acceptance or closure or whatever you want to call it like we don't necessarily ever kind of reach it as like a final place you know like we were talking about earlier for me I've been thinking a lot about the last time I saw my mum last time she was here in Australia and I think maybe I'm I'm moving back towards that you know the platform of grief in those moments but then it's okay if you do move you know the train goes on towards feeling like you've kind of moved a little bit towards more acceptance It's, it's it's not really seeing it as a final destination and I found that really helpful. Yeah, that the train doesn't just come into the station and stop. It like leaves, it comes back. Yeah. Sometimes there's an express train. Sometimes there's the slow commuter train. Yes. Like it really just depends on what's happening in our lives. That's a brilliant and- build. I love that. The express train. <laughs> <laughs> Roaring through. <laughs> and just to go a little bit further with our door analogy, I it's uh, with this idea of closure, right? Like just hearing the word makes me grit my teeth a little mm. bit because I, I feel it and I hear it as external expectations that not only do we close the door to every grief room, but we sell the whole dang grief house and like move out of the state and move out of the country. And like, that's it. We're just done with it. That's the closure. And it like, well, you all know, we all know listeners, you probably all know, like it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. No. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about grief, isn't it? And and we learned that very early on that you know, especially the stages of grief, like they're not linear. We can kind of feel them all in one day, all at once. Like there is no final, final place. And there really is no such thing as closure when, when you're experiencing loss, like it's, it's an impossible kind of thing to feel, I think. So yeah, it's, it's important to know that when you're grieving. So here's a question that I've never asked any other podcast guests 
before I'm, and I, it came to me when I was <laughs> yeah, I was looking through your website and you both list your name and who died and how they died and you also list your astrological sun sign of Sal being Cancer and M being Virgo. And I just wondered, just like, do you is that a lens you use to look at your grief in any way? Or was that just like a fun off off the cuff thing on your website? Could be a new thing, couldn't it? Astrological grief. How do you yeah. grieve depending on your star sign? Um, but not not really. Um, it's more just a fun thing um, that we added. But we do we do sort of see how we grieve in quite different ways, don't we, Ian? We have different grieving styles that I think yeah. play, obviously play into like our nature and sort of, you know, our personalities. We're polar opposites. Like we've experienced the same loss, like the loss of our mums and it was a sudden death, but the way Sal and I have grieved has been completely opposite. So there's these grieving styles that were identified by two psychiatrists, their names are Kenneth Dokar and Terry Martin, and they identified that there is an intuitive griever and an instrumental griever. I'm not sure if you're familiar with these, but um, we found it so interesting. We're like, oh, my God, Sal is 100% an instrumental griever and I'm 100% uh, an intuitive griever. So we kind of go off those now and that's kind of our, our grieving style. So if people don't know... An intuitive griever is someone who kind of like focuses on expressing their feelings and processing their emotions in that sort of way. And they experience their loss like really deeply. And they also find like strength in social connection and sharing their grief with others. Um, whereas an instrumental griever, Sal, you can explain that one. Um, so definitely more of a problem solving approach. So tends to be a bit more physical in the way they express um, their grief and uh, maybe sort of more cognitive. And it's quite interesting because a, can a cancer star sign is very feelings and emotions. And a Virgo, if you look at the list of what a Virgo is, is very practical. So we're sort of the opposites to, in terms yeah. of our grieving styles to what our star <laughs> sign would be. But yeah, for the, for the sake for the sake of our website, it was just a a, a bit of fun. But um, but it is interesting because it opens up that you know gets you thinking about sort of the way that you process your grief based on your style and nature. And yeah, we, I guess we're, op we're complete opposites, aren't we, Im? Yeah, we are. <laughs> Have you know? I sometimes think about those different categories and styles and um, and ways of being. And you know, I think about if you're an intuitive griever, maybe you're more of a feeler, and if you're an instrumental griever, you're more of a doer. But I also think that how we grieve, how we experience our grief, how we express our grief, how we understand our grief, it changes over time, right? And so there might be somebody who starts off maybe doing a lot of verbal expression and and a lot of emotional um, metabolizing. And then over time that shifts and they find that it's actually more of like a physical being doing that is more helpful. And have either of you noticed your, the way you're grieving or the way you understand your grief to be shifting over time? Definitely. And I think it's a scale, isn't it? It's like you can be sort of more one, the other, or probably a bit of a mix of both. And like you say, it does evolve over time. I think in the early days for me, I was very, very practical, very much a doer. That was the way that I processed things. But also I think it was circumstance as well like I had to fly back to the UK and deal with my mum's estate so I didn't really have any other choice but to just get on with it and kind of get things done and I think then as time has come on and and you know moved I've, I've been sort of you know coping with my loss I've definitely been leaning more into feeling much more of the emotions and finding that that strength in the social connection with others which is perhaps more on that scale of more in the intuitive grief style um 
I definitely think I've, you know, sort of maybe over time become a bit more of a blend of both, although I tend to lean much more into the the action side of things naturally, I think. I think I'm default intuitive. <laughs> I think I'm just stuck there in the emotion. <laughs> There's no doing. There's just feeling. Yeah, no doing, just all the feels. <laughs> Who knows, it might change. But, yeah, I'm definitely a feeler. Well, I wonder, too, what role maybe um, culture plays in that, too, you know, knowing, Sal, that you're actually from Britain and living in Australia and, and you're like living in Australia and you were raised there. And I wonder if there's any cultural differences that play a part in your grief as well. Yes, that keep calm, carry on mentality might be in there somewhere. <laughs> I definitely think, yeah, that British stiff upper, upper lip is sort of woven somehow into into me anyway I know that in your partner's British as well isn't he and you sort of see some similarities there I mean not that's obviously not like as a sweeping generalization for Brits but I don't know whether it's a cultural thing or maybe it's just me just sort of you know I'm very much a just crack on just get on with things but I don't know whether that's just just my personal style what do you think Im? I, I think probably a bit of both but I will say that Sal's been really good at embracing her emotions, though. We have a thing called a grief sesh. So when we feel like when you when you don't allow yourself to sit in those uncomfortable emotions, because let's face it, it is really hard sometimes, I think grief can start to disguise itself as other things. So you start to get like quite irritable or frustrated and, you know, they build up inside of you because as much as you may want to avoid grief, it's always going to be there and it's very, very patient. So it's going to come out some point some other way if you don't feel it. So yeah, we set aside time now when we do feel like a little bit frustrated or snappy, we're like, okay, we need to grieve. So we set aside that time and like have what we call a grief sesh where we really access our emotions and put on the sad music and read letters from our mom and just really sit with it and just know that it's okay to kind of feel those feelings. And we always feel really lighter afterwards and it is a good thing to do <laughs> if anyone's listening who who kind of, yeah, pushes their grief aside, like set aside some time and, and let yourself kind of feel it. Yeah, it's almost like a grief workout, right? Like you're <laughs> like, that's not something I really want to do. But once I do it, I usually feel a little bit better, but it's also tiring and I have to like structure the time yes. to uh, create that space for it. Exactly that. So you mentioned that when you first came together and were like, finally, someone my age, also had a sudden death. We're super lonely in our grief. Let's like be less alone together and see if we can make other people have an experience of feeling less alone in their grief. And you mentioned that like honesty and humor were two things that you really wanted to bring to that process. And what is it about humor? Like what's the draw of bringing humor into your grief and to the work you're doing in grief? Well, I mean, put simply, really, grief is so difficult. And, you know, it's such a sad and hard time I think sometimes we just do need a little bit of humor just to lift us through what is a really bloody awful time I think there are moments in grief where there's kind of almost like a a sort of dark a dark humor to it I think that's what we we wanted to be able to talk about the realities of grief, but in a way that wasn't all doom and gloom because, you know, you're already going through so much and you're probably feeling all the heavy emotions all the time. So we wanted to kind of create a space that was a little bit lighter where you could come and join the conversation, like let's talk about grief, but we're not going to make you feel any worse, you know, than, than you already do. And I think just, yeah, just talking about the realities, like 
there are, you know, so many times where like for me, like, you know, there is a bit of dark humor. Like I remember when I'm for an example, when I was bringing my mum's ashes back from the UK, like I had to take her ashes with her passport, her driver's license. And I had to show the customs like her passport. It was bizarre like we have this these so many like bizarre experiences in our grief right I'm sure many of your listeners have had moments that you think is that even like what is going on here that you've got to sort of you've got to laugh about it in a way because that's going to carry you through you just need a little bit of lightness sometimes right yes and like what are you supposed to do hold up the passport and the urn so they can identify the ashes like it's just (laughs) it's silly so if you don't laugh in those moments you'll cry that's for sure um, Sally, you, you've got to share your ashes scattering story too. <laughs> Sal's had so many moments. <laughs> I'm sure many of your listeners have, have probably experienced that you might think scattering the ashes is, you know, going to be this very uh, monumental experience. It's going to be really, you know, like something really special for me and, and for some listeners it might have been, but for me it was, it was just a bit awkward, really. I, I tried to do it in a, a space where I got married, which is a really uh, lovely space in Sydney opposite the Opera House. Uh, but but the, I didn't, you know, I didn't realise that scattering them, they're like bath salts, aren't they? They're like so chalky. And I'm thinking, I'm just going to put them in this flower bed. And, you know, and it was like this ch- thick chalk going on the floor. Like, I was like, there's, there's no way that this is... People you know. walking past, like looking at her going, what is that crazy woman doing? And I thought I'd have this moment with my mum, but I was like, I'm really sorry, mum. You're going to have to go in the harbour because like, this is just too much trying to do it in this flower bed. So anyway, it was, you know, just the little things that you don't really think about until you're in grief and you're experiencing experiencing you know um those little moments and I think sometimes you just got to laugh otherwise you know you'll cry (laughs) (laughs) I've been reflecting on the you know the concept of dark humor lately because I I find myself often watching a movie or a tv show well right now just with one person because of COVID but before COVID when I would watch it with groups of people and I would be the only person laughing at certain pieces loudly okay this is super awkward and uncomfortable and I'm like what is going on I was like oh yeah 20 years of working in the grief world there's a piece of like dark humor for me is like laughing at sometimes the absurdity because it's so serious and so intense and in that intensity there's just absurdity like that I don't know if you saw the movie don't look up that came out recently it's like end end times the world is ending I don't want to give away well I just did the world ends and Throughout the whole movie, I was just laughing yes. hysterically because I'm like, this is so absurd of like, what do people do in the moment when they're faced with something so heartbreaking and and soul shattering? And that's what we're doing in our grief, right? Like there's immense heartbreak, immense shattering of how the world was. You, There's going to be moments where all you can do is just laugh at the absurdity of it. Yes. And also the afterlife just really just hits the nail on the head when it comes to the absurdity of grief. That's the show, everybody, not the actual afterlife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the TV show on Netflix. Yeah, we're afterlife. still talking about TV shows here. <laughs> uh, but we can get into the afterlife as well if you want. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like the afterlife just hits that dark humour of death really, really well. Like I-, I watched that and I was in absolute stitches through the whole thing, but then also crying hysterically. So it was a real mix. <laughs> Usually at the same time. Yeah. 
One last thing I wanted to ask about, Sal, you already talked a bit about what it's been like to be an expat and to live so far away from where your mom was when she died and and how that's kind of coming into the forefront now of the last time that she visited you in Australia. And, you know, we think about these other like major milestones in our life and what it's like to go through them without the physical presence of our people. And, you know, Im, you had a kid and I just wondered what it was like to move into the place of motherhood without your mom here. Yeah, well, I was actually uh, fortunate enough to have my mom here for the first part of it. So she was by my side throughout the whole pregnancy. She was by my side when I gave birth, um, but she died when my daughter was nine months old. So it was incredibly difficult, but I, I do feel, I don't know if lucky is the right word, but I do feel fortunate that I did have her there for those kind of first moments of motherhood. Um but then, yeah, in nine nine months in, it was still really fresh for me. Like I was still a new mom trying to navigate this new identity and new life. And then my biggest support was kind of ripped away from me at the time when I really needed her the most. And um, I was still breastfeeding at the time. And I remember I just went into so much shock, like my body just shut down and like I couldn't, I couldn't even breastfeed my child anymore. I was struggling to like engage with her. I was sort of... Just, I felt like a bit of a zombie just staring at the wall all day trying to comprehend what had happened. Um, so, yeah, it was really, it was really, 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 really hard. One of the hardest times of my life and probably will be the hardest time of my life. At the same time, having a child through grief was also a saving grace for me. I found comfort in my daughter and I found she was sort of the reason to keep me moving forward in life she she gave me a reason to keep living pretty much because I will be honest like after my mom died by suicide like I I couldn't see how I was going to survive and yeah it was it was a really really dark time and and I had to get out of bed for my daughter (laughs) she needed to be fed she needed to be bathed she needed to be looked after and I know how much of a pivotal kind of time for her development um it is around, you know, the nine month mark. So I just had to force myself to keep going. And that's exactly what I did. And, and as the months went on, I wouldn't say it got easier, but I sort of was able to manage those really tough emotions a little bit better and somehow cope. (laughs) And I did. And now I'm heading into two years. My daughter's nearly three and I have moments of pure joy and happiness and I never thought that I would ever feel again. And it did come. And yeah, for anyone listening that is perhaps still in, in that dark place, just, yeah, hold on to those words because it does, it does get lighter. And that idea that sometimes there's a a fear, not only will I never feel lightness or joy again, but I'll never feel it unfettered by the shadow of grief too. And that, you know, the grief is always there, but there are those breakthrough moments where the grief isn't the first lens that we're seeing the experience through. Yes, absolutely. And it's impossible to imagine that <laughs> when you're in it, like it's really impossible, but it, it does, it does happen. And you know, the, the sadness, like you said, it's always there. It's always kind of lurking behind all the happy times and the milestones and all of those things. And you always remember that they're missing out and it's not a, it's not a goal. It's not a place where we're going to be and stay. It's not a permanent kind of emotion to feel all the time. It's something that will come and go just like all the other emotions in grief. When you have a child, like you lose 
your identity a little bit. But then when you when you're grieving as well, I also feel like you lose your identity. So I've had this real mix of like, what is this new person I am? Is it is it from grief? Is it from becoming a mum? Like, there's, it's very clouded, and I, and I didn't really get to experience the difference. <laughs> so yeah, it's been an interesting time. So I usually ask folks, and I am going to ask you this eventually, of like, what's helping you currently? But first, I wanted to ask, what is irritating you both lately, related to your grief? Oh, hmm. it's an interesting one. What is irritating me? What is irritating me is the fact that <laughs> I am showing my grief by being quite snappy and irritated. And that is irritating me because I don't like to be that way. That's actually like, yeah, that, that's probably what's bugging me the most. That's, it's coming out a lot in frustration and I don't like that. So I'm trying to sort of mm. work through that. But I do notice when I'm having sort of heavier days, I'm a bit sort of on edge and a bit snappy. And, and yeah, I don't love that for me. <laughs> Or anyone that's on the receiving end. <laughs> Don't love that for me. Don't love that journey for me. <laughs> um, mine would definitely have to be the fog, the exhaustion and the fog, which I wasn't prepared for. And although it has lifted mostly, like I still experience it and I don't have the same kind of energy levels that I used to have as well. Don't know if that's because I'm a mom or, or because I'm grieving, but probably a mixture of both, but yeah, it, it can, can really affect you mentally and physically and mm. every aspect of your life, which I don't think a lot of people quite understand unless you've experienced it it's yourself. A surprise, isn't it? The fatigue, the, the mental fatigue. And, you know, some days it's hard to even like decipher an email for me and, you know, Im, I know it's the same for you. Like, it's just like a, a yeah, like a fog, like a tiredness that's like all kind of consuming. And yeah, that was surprising in, in, in grief, the, the, the mental and physical exhaustion. Yeah. So that irritates me. <laughs> if that could go away, that'd be great. Thanks, Grace. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then add a pandemic on top of it, which is yeah. a cognitive uh, drain for all of us on top of the, the exhaustion of the grief. Yeah. So now that we've covered the irritation, I will go back to my original ending question of, you know, what's something that's currently helping you? For me, scaling things back. And I think this sort of plays into what we were talking earlier about my grieving style and tending to kind of go at things full throttle and get things done. Actually, I think I sometimes push myself and it's, it leads to overwhelm and snappiness and, you know, being irritated. So scaling things back is something that's really helping me actually going, you just need time to just sit and be and like feel and process. Um, and also then, kind of moving on from that taking time off from grief trying to do things that are where I kind of engage in something creative or maybe I just take a break watch a film that's light-hearted or just try and just have like an hour or two where I'm not focusing on how I'm feeling or you know thinking about or doing grief. a grief podcast or, or doing <laughs> yeah because it's in you, you know when you are like in, and you probably find as well like you know when you're talking about grief a lot when you're working in the space and doing you know we are immersed in grief our own and others so just trying to take a little bit of a break from it that's really helping me and for me I think non-negotiable exercise has been hugely helpful for me. Like I know it can be hard. I've just, like I've just said, 
grief can be exhausting. So it can be hard to find the energy to exercise, but I force myself to do like at least 20 minutes in the mornings. Like I get up, I go for a, like a light jog or a walk. I just get it done. And that has helped my mental health so much. Um, through my grief and also breath work, which has been interesting. So we did an episode with a woman called Rebecca Jacks, who is a an energetic healer and she teaches breath work for helping with grief and loss. And um, I did a course with her. So it was a five-week intensive course with like long sessions of breath work, which went over an hour. And I feel like it helped me so much and I can't really describe how, but I felt like it cleared a lot of blockages that I was holding on to. Cause I think, you know, grief is very physical and trauma can stay trapped in the body and yeah, breathwork has helped me to release some of that trauma. I don't know if you all noticed this, but you know, you've talked to him that you tend to be more of an intuitive feeling griever and Sal, you're more of this instrumental doing griever. But the thing that's currently helping you is the opposite of that, right? So um, you're going and doing something to help in your grief. And Sal, you're having to carve out time to like feel stuff and then like take a hard stop break from feeling of the things. So it's so interesting. Yeah. (laughs) I need to process this. What does this mean? (laughs) Well, I I think for me, it's because I know I tend to overdo it. So it's almost like weirdly since since I've kind of become a griever and since grief has, you know, touched my life and mum died, I think I've learned a lot more about myself and like, definitely like I, I know I have a tendency to overdo it and, you know, throw myself into things. So I think that's definitely probably influence why I'm like finding that I like, I'm like, okay, well, I know that this is, this is how I'm coping with it. So I definitely need to carve out time, but it's interesting that you notice that and M, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I just sit in the emotions too much. So I've got to get out and do something that gets it out, like rather than sitting in it, maybe. (laughs) So maybe that's what I've found really helpful because I don't have a problem with sitting with my emotions. Wow. I need to process that. That's really interesting. It's grief cross training, right? Like if we have the thing that we're already really good at, whether it's weight training or running or whatever, and you have to like maybe do some yoga or do some stretching or go for a faster run. All right, I'm going to stop that analogy yes. there, but you know what I'm talking yes. about. Grief no, I, lo- I love your analogies. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So for listeners who are like, okay, I need more humor and honesty in my grief, and I want to connect more with M and Sal with their podcast, Good Morning Podcast, you have an amazing social media presence, tell us how to find you, and then I'll put all the links in the show notes. We are very active on Instagram, so you can find us at Good Morning Podcast, and morning is spelt with a U. And we have also set up a private Facebook support group for anyone needing a little bit of extra support or who potentially wants to connect with other grievers in the community. So you can find us there. I I always forget this one because this is the grief brain fog. Good Morning Grief Community on Facebook. And what else do we have, Sal? I feel like I'm forgetting things. And you can find us on any major podcast platform. So just type in Good Morning uh, Grief Podcast or just Good Morning and you'll find us. Um, And our website is www.goodmorning.com.au and you can find everything, uh, all links to all of our resources and social media platforms on our website as well. And you can listen to our episodes. Great. Well, listeners, again, that'll all be in the show notes. So you don't have to scribble furiously to get that all <laughs> down. And M and Sal, thank you for making time today for 
signing on from across the world to have this conversation with me for Grief Out Loud. I really enjoyed getting to know you and talk with you more about grief and everything else that comes with it. Thank you for having us. And thank you for all of your wonderful grief analogies, which I think we'll carry forward (laughs) and use now. They're so good. But yeah, it's been lovely to connect. Thank you, John. And thank you for all the work that you're doing in this space as well. Like you are a leading light in the grief world. And we're, yeah, it's an honor to, to be able to share this hour with you. So thank you so much for everything you do as well. And listeners, I say it each and every time, but thank you for making the show mean what it does. Otherwise, we would just be speaking into the void. Um, So we're really grateful that you are on the receiving end of our conversations. If you're new to our show, you can find all of our past episodes at our website, which is D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G, which is also where you'll find information about our local grief peer support group programs, as well as free downloadable tip sheets, activity sheets, all kinds of different resources that are available. And if you are tuning in from a country other than the United States, I would love to hear from you. I'm working on some future projects around that. So you can email me at griefoutloud at dougie.org. So thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Mm